Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network. Brian Peacock here with the scout, Matt Williamson. We're breaking down the Atlanta Falcons on today's show. Did they do enough to remake that squad to be again at the top of a really tough NFC South in 2020? We'll talk with Aaron Freeman on today's show from Locked On Falcons to get that answer. Some big names on offense. Some fantasy football players out there might be interested to know uh, where the ball's going to go. You can subscribe, rate, review this podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Matt is at Williamson NFL. Let's get into it. Let's bring on today's guest, Aaron Freeman. You can hear him daily on the Locked On Falcons podcast. You can find him on Twitter at FalcFans. Aaron, it's a pleasure having you on the show today. Thanks for uh, jumping on with us to talk a little Atlanta Falcons and, a- and NFC South. Absolutely. Do it every day on Locked on Falcons. Happy to do it here on Locked on NFL. <laughs> We're happy to have you. The Atlanta Falcons. They're an odd team because I get a lot of questions about the Falcons. Matt and I both do. And people are trying to figure out, is this a good team? Is this a team where we should expect Dan Quinn to get fired in week six if they get off to a slow start or something like that? So um, last we checked in with the Falcons, they had a run at the end of last year. I think maybe it saved some jobs from my vantage point. You are closer than we are. So is that sort of how things went in 2019 for the Falcons? Was this a team that was underachieving and maybe they, they saved their jobs a little bit by starting out or by ending the season on a better note and is this year going to be more of the same of that idea if they don't jump out of the box maybe earlier than they did last year that there might have to be some changes in Atlanta? Yeah, I mean, that, that's been the big question hanging over their offseason. It is sort of a make-or-break season for Dan Quinn. A lot of people thought last year was the make-or-break season. But, Brian, I know you firsthand saw sort of the Falcons' resurgence, and from everything I've heard, that win against the 49ers in the second half of the season was – probably the main reason why Dan Quinn was able to retain his job in addition to the win over the the Saints earlier um, and for the team to basically start as poorly as it did in 2019 with that 1-7 start finishing the season 6-2 to finish 7-9. Those two wins I think the Falcons are sort of hanging their hat on. Owner Arthur Blank is sort of looking at those two wins and saying okay that's the real Falcons and the expectation is that team is going to show up this upcoming season and it's going to have to you know do so pretty early in the season and and not do the things that they've done in 2018 and 2019. 2018, they started one and three. Uh, 2019, they started one and seven. Um, they're going to have to get off to a, a fast start because they have some tough games, particularly in the back half of the season against teams like the Saints, teams like the Bucks, who a lot of people are expecting to be a much improved team and a playoff contender, unlike they have been for, what, 13 years. And you have a team like the, the defending Super Bowl champions in the Kansas City Chiefs. So, if the Falcons get off to a slow start again in 2020, I don't know if they're going to have the schedule uh, in their favor to turn it around in the second half of the season and finish strong. So, um, it, you know, it's it's all about the sort of uh, notion of continuity or momentum carrying over from the back half of last season into 2020. Warren Sharp has the Falcons with the toughest schedule in the league this upcoming year. And I want to get to Warren Sharp later. I'm going to bring this up for, for a reason. But talking about Arthur Blank, it's probably, I mean, he probably doesn't deserve credit to be such a visionary that he knew all this COVID craziness was going to happen. But in a way, it looks awfully wise to bring back the status quo, you know, run it back with a veteran quarterback, add some pieces, but really kind of keep the ship, you know, stay in the course, in my opinion. Do you agree with that? Is that, do you think it's the right move? 
Yeah, I think, you know, at the time I was very skeptical of the move mm -hmm. because of, you know, the reasons that I think everybody saw with this Falcon team seemingly underwhelming in both 2018 and 2019. And it felt like maybe it's time for them to move on. But given the sort of disruption that COVID-19 has had for this offseason, it does, at least in theory, put the Falcons in a better position than a lot of other teams that have a little bit less continuity with their coaching staff, less continuity with their, uh, you know, offensive and defensive personnel. So at least in theory, it should help the Falcons get off to a faster start than some of their uh, opponents. But, you know, we can say that in, in theory, but right, ultimately right. we know like when you have to get out on the field and prove it. So uh, we'll, we'll have to sort of see, but I think sort of now looking at it, now that we have the value of hindsight, you know, it does seem like, a savvier move than initially at the time. The Falcons might have one or two new starters uh, on each side of the ball here in 2020, but really quick, just finishing up this look back at what the Falcons were in 2019. What do you think the difference was in the first half of the season, the second half of the season? Where did this team go right and where did this team go wrong last year? So, so what are the strengths that they're going to have to lean on going into 2020 to make sure they don't get off to that slow start? Well, you know, that's been a big topic of conversation on Lockdown Falcons for, you know, the last nine or so months, you know, sort of what was the catalyst for their sort of turnaround. It, to me, from my perspective, wasn't really their offense making any significant gains in the second half of the season. It was really the defense. And it coincided um, with the uh, decision to move Raheem Morris, uh, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneers head coach, to defensive coordinator for the second half of the season. He was previously at working as a wide receivers coach. And I think what happened under Morris was that they were able to clean up some of the communication issues that were really problematic for them in the secondary, in the back half of the season. They shuffled around some players. So that that helped in a, in, in a certain regard. But I think really sort of from my perspective, really sort of digging into the, the film and, and breaking down and charting their defense in the second half of the season, I would say the two biggest factors for why the defense worked in the second half of the season uh, than it did in the first half of the season was largely due to their pass rush being able to get more pressure on quarterbacks and get home uh, in the second half versus the first half. And, you know, that a lot of that was catalyzed by significant improvements from the players beyond Grady Jarrett, particularly Adrian Claiborne, um, against some of their NFC South opponents. Like if you basically looked at Claiborne's performance in that first Saints win, and then two games against Carolina, uh, you know, if there's any Browns fans listening out there, if you watch those three games, you would think Adrian Claiborne is the best pass rusher in the NFL. And if you watch any of the pretty much any of the other games that season, you would just come away being like, yeah, he's fine. Um, and then you couple that with getting Desmond Trufant back on the field uh, in the second half a little bit more uh, and playing him a little bit more consistently than he did in the first half because he missed, you know, a total of, I think, seven games last year, um, including three at the end of the season. But one of the things I charted when I was breaking down the film of the Falcons is that when Trufant was on the field, opposing quarterbacks had a quarterback efficiency level about on par with what Case Keenum was for the Redskins last year. But when Trufant was off the field, quarterback opposing quarterbacks efficiency against the Falcons defense was about on par with what Patrick Mahomes was last year. So I think for the Falcons, the additions of players like Dante Fowler and Marlon Davidson and, and Charles Harris – hopefully will improve the pass rush. And, you know, it's going to be a big ass for guys like A.J. Terrell to sort of step into the void left by Trufant, who, you know, 
in a lot of people's eyes, wasn't necessarily the elite number one corner that he was paid to be. But I think, you know, numbers like I just cited show that he was still performing at a reasonably high level when he was on the field last season. So, you know, whether these young defensive backs are going to be able to fill that void, I think is, is one of the bigger question marks within puts more pressure on the pass rush to be better to sort of cover up for that if that's the case. So those are, to me, the big catalysts that helped the Falcons in 2019. And I think one of the questions is going to be, can they continue that forward into 2020? On that note, Ryan, oh, okay, sorry, go ahead. Uh, Aaron, just uh, on that note of the, the coaching staff and who's calling the plays, uh, Raheem Morris on the defensive side of the ball as defensive coordinator, wasn't Jeff Ulbrich also calling some plays at some point in the season? Yes, Ulbrich uh, took over play calling at halftime in the Arizona game, which was week six. And him and Morris technically kind of split duties in the second half of the season. Morris came in after their bye week in week nine. So his first game he was calling was a week 10 against the Saints. So basically the way they split it was Ulbrich would be responsible for early downs, like first and second down. Then Raheem Morris would call plays on third downs and in the two-minute drill. So, you know, because passing is a little bit more – happens more frequently than running it was mostly Morris calling plays in the second half of the season yeah so we tend to give him a little bit more credit uh than Ulbrich did but Ulbrich certainly did factor and is it going to be the same this year mostly Raheem Morris or is it supposed to be all Raheem Morris this time all Raheem Morris okay gotcha okay uh, Ryan, gonna, I know you have I gotta s- hijack your 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 uh host role here for sure. a second yeah yeah Aaron totally nailed this and I mentioned the Warren Sharp thing earlier I was at the beach all last week reading Warren's guide, and this was one of the most startling things I read the whole time. So I cut and pasted a a paragraph out of his guide. Maybe we should go to break because I want to read it. It really is startling with the, the difference of this defense. Absolutely. I'm interested now. Let's get into that next and talk about some of the new faces on the Falcons and specific offensive and defensive units, what this team might look like and their competition in the AFC South with Aaron Freeman coming up. Bear with me. I mean, I'm going to read this verbatim. We rarely do these type of things on the air. But like I said, I'm sitting on the beach reading this thing, and I was just blown away. And then he told me, hey, we got Aaron coming on. I want our our fans to listen to this. And it's amazing. Aaron really broke it down really well in the first segment. But check this out. I mean, in weeks one through eight, the Falcons defense faced the 13th easiest schedule of pass offenses. In three of their first four games, they took on the Titans with Marcus Mariota, uh, Jacoby Brissett-led Colts team, and in, in the Eagles in a game when every wide receiver seemed to hurt himself within five minutes of the kickoff. Philadelphia couldn't play 11 personnel because they literally didn't have three wide receivers available in that game. Yet the Falcons' pass defense was abysmal. Over the first half of the season, those first eight games, Atlanta's pass defense ranked 32nd in the NFL. They allowed an 8.3 yards per attempt, a 57% success rate, 115 passer rating, and get this, a 19 to 2 touchdown to interception radio, rate ratio, and recorded only a 2.7 sack rate. In all five of those metrics, Atlanta's defense was literally bottom five in every one. Atlanta ranked 32nd in third down conversion percentage, 32nd in takeaways, and 32nd in red zone defense. Eight games down a one in seven record going into their week nine bye. So as Aaron mentioned, time for a coaching change, but not the ones people were expecting. Dan Quinn's job was on the line, but defensive coordinator Dan Quinn was relieved of his duties so that head coach Dan Quinn could see another day. 
So as we mentioned, instead of bumping one assistant to take over as interim defensive coordinator, the plan was, as we talked about, it was going to put Ulbrich and Morris in charge. So coming out of that bye, the Falcons who are about to face the third toughest schedule of pass offenses after returning from the bye through week 17. So they had it easy, easy the first half were terrible. And then they had it really hard the second half. So from the first half to the second half of the season, Atlanta decreased their passer rating allowed from 115 to 76, by far the best improvement. Their TD to interception ratio from 19 to 2 to 10 to 9, by far the best improvement. Decreased their pass success rate from 57% to 49. That was second best. Their sack rate from 2.7 to 6.9, second best. Decreased their yards per play allowed from 8.6 to 7 flat, fifth best improvement. And their third down conversion rate dropped from 53% to 38, moving from 32nd to 1st. And Atlanta's red zone conversion rate dropped from 66 to 38%, moving from 32nd to 5th. Incredible. So thanks in large part to a defensive effort, the Falcons closed the season 6-2 and and recorded wins over two of the very best teams in the NFL, the Saints and the Niners, both on the road. I mean, rarely do I read stuff like that, but it is startling. I mean, it just reiterates what Aaron was saying. It's pretty remarkable. And by the way, yeah, go out and, and buy Warren Sharp's new breakdown of the entire league so detailed on every team in the NFL. Warren putting out some of the, the smartest stuff on NFL football right now that there is. And there's been yeah. a lot of additions talent-wise to the defensive side of the ball, too, which if they can keep up that momentum that they had in the second half of last year, play like that, a couple of new pieces on the defensive side of the ball as well, Aaron. Dante Fowler coming over from the Rams. Tack McKinley still around for at least one more year. Grady Jarrett's inside. So they've got some talent up front, and then they added the first-round draft pick in A.J. Terrell. Uh, which of the new additions on defense... Aaron, do you think is going to make the biggest impact here in 2020? Yeah, you know, I think, as I said, I think the pass rush was a, was a key to their turnaround, and I think that's going to be the thing that's going to guide them if they're going to continue to play at that high level, as um, Matt just outlined and Warren Sharp just outlined in, in his uh, breakdown. And I think Fowler is the answer then. And I think, you know, you mentioned Tack McKinley, who's coming off a, a little bit of an underwhelming season uh, in, in 2019, didn't get the sack production uh, that I think a lot of people, including myself, were expecting him to have with the expectation that he might sort of jump into being that double-digit sack guy. And I think ultimately the lesson that the Falcons may have learned is that Tack may be better served to be sort of the number three pass rusher in a rotation than necessarily the number two guy. Um, and I think adding a player like Fowler, who seemingly has been com comfortable and confident, particularly coming off the season he had in in Los Angeles uh, being number two to Aaron Donald, I think sort of makes him make a lot of sense to sort of fill those shoes as the number two guy, a role that Vic Beasley, despite his sack production, just was never really consistently. You never, you know, got on the field and was too often ever really worried about what Vic Beasley would do despite some of the production that he had in, uh, in recent years uh, as, as a threat. So I think, you know, spearheaded by Grady Jarrett and Dante Fowler, and Tack McKinley, and then the, you add in the second-round pick in Marlon Davidson as well to sort of be the fourth guy in that rotation and line up beside Jared on the interior. You know, again, going back to what we talked about earlier, in theory, the Falcons have a foursome that could potentially be formidable if all four of those players sort of play up to their potential. 
um, and you get that double-digit sack guy in Fowler, you get one of the top, you know, interior pass rushers in Grady Jarrett. If you can get uh, more consistency and improvement from uh, Tack McKinley and Davidson um, has a, a solid to good rookie season, you know, no one's going to expect him to pull a Nick Bosa or anything like that. But, you know, he can just sort of fit in wherever he needs to fit in in that uh, core rotation. I think you have the potential that you could, you know, the, the Fowler addition could be the catalyst to give the Falcons at least the most formidable four-man uh, pass rush that they've had in the Dan Quinn era, and that could facilitate some success for this defense and ultimately the team this upcoming season. I 100% agree, and I think the upgrade from Beasley to Fowler is drastic. I totally agree with that. And I just want to throw this out there, but I think Grady Jarrett is actually squarely in the conversation for second best defensive tackle in the league. Are you on, on that? Are you, are you, are you that high on him like I am? I mean, on his best days, I think, you know, obviously we put Aaron Donald one. Yeah. It's, yeah. I guess it's a conversation of between Fletcher Cox and Chris Jones and Grady Jarrett probably be the three people that we spend the most time discussing for that number two spot. And I certainly think on Jarrett's best days, he's as good as any of those guys, if not better than those guys. Um, I think just the difference is that because, you know, Cox has been doing it for as long as he's been, obviously Jones been playing on a team that's been a little bit more high profile in recent years than the Falcons and certainly has the sack production. Um, and again, it's not to take away from any of those guys, you know, you know, th- that's a, if, if Grady Jarrett's the best of that group, it's great. If he's the third best out of that group, that's still a great place to be. Still that's pretty still great, yeah. You know, in the 99th, 98th percentile among defensive tackles. So that's still a great spot to be. So I, I, I could certainly see that. Where were you on first round cornerback out of Clemson, AJ Terrell? Because analysts were really split on Terrell. Some saw him as a top 20 player as he was drafted uh, by the Atlanta Falcons. Some people didn't really even like him as a first round cornerback. He's got all the athleticism and the length you look for in a corner, played a big time program. Where do you fall in that spectrum? as a prospect for AJ Terrell? Well, ultimately I'm, I'm more on the, I think he's legitimately a, a first round uh, talent. Um, you know, I, I know you and Matt had this conversation quite a bit on uh, locked on NFL, which was, you know, there was 16 sort of premier players and, and sort of the 17th guy. I think you can certainly make a, a case for Terrell potentially being in the 17th guy, but I think as you guys, suggested that there's maybe a little bit of a a gap between 16 and 17 Mm -hmm. in this draft class. So for me, you know, with Terrell, it was interesting because I kind of was in the other camp of sort of being down on him um, prior to maybe like a week or two before the draft, because like a lot of people, my kind of first impression of him was that national championship game where he got beat quite a bit by Jamar Chase from LSU. And sort of like a lot of people, I think I kind of wrote him off as like, oh, yeah, he's he's okay, but like he's not that good. And then I actually went back and, you know, about a week or two before the draft, starting to hear rumors about him being a potential top 20 pick. And, you know, knowing that the Falcons had a big need at cornerback, started to actually seriously entertain the possibility of him being the pick. And then I sat down and watched him, and I came away, you know, pretty impressed of his game. That that one performance against LSU I don't think is necessarily reflective of the body of work that he had at Clemson. I think he's kind of tailor-made to be the type of corner that the Falcons typically cover, which is, you know, a long corner that has good athleticism that can match up man-to-man, maybe not with the Jamar Chases of the world, but certainly with the the majority of of quality receivers. It's not 
to say that he didn't face quality competition. You know, the ACC was kind of down on wide receivers, but he faced guys like the Alabama boys in the national championship the previous year and handled those guys fine. He, he faced guys like Debo Samuel uh, at South Carolina and handled him fine. So, it, you know, outside of one game, you didn't really see major issues and major holes in his game in terms of his coverage ability. And you couple that with the toughness that he brings. He's not the biggest guy in the world, but, you know, he, he's willing to lower the shoulder and, and stick his nose in and run support. And that's the type of players that the Falcons typically covet. And, you know, ultimately I came away impressed uh, with his overall body of work. So I eventually came around on AJ Terrell, but I certainly understand why other people, particularly early in the process, were maybe a little bit down on him. Chase does that to everyone. That's, that was the conclusion I reached. Yeah. <laughs> right, that right. tends to happen. That tends to happen for sure. What about the other corner, Isaiah Oliver, an up and down career so far since being drafted early in round two in 2018, get Keanu Neal back, hopefully for a full healthy season. How does the rest of that starting secondary round out? Yes. You know, the safety duo is going to be interesting because Keanu Neal was one of the team's key defenders in that 2017 year, which is the best defense that the, uh, team has had in the Dan Quinn era. Uh, wasn't a great defense that year, but certainly was looking like it was an emerging defense. And then things kind of went sideways in the year since. And I think a, a large part of that, not all of it, but a large part of that was due to not having a player like Keanu Neal. And we saw this in Seattle for several years when Cam Chancellor was out of the lineup, like playing that sort of cover three style of defense, if you don't have that big time strong safety to sort of help enforce over the middle, it just doesn't work to the same degree that it would work um, when when you do have that player and not having a player like Neil, I think has held back this defense. So if they can get him back uh, at playing at a high level, I think it will be a huge boost uh, for this uh, secondary. The question is, you know, coming off an Achilles tear last year and an ACL tear the previous year, you wonder if you're going to get the the pre-injury Keanu Neal at this point. And then you look at the cornerback spot opposite AJ Terrell, where you have Isaiah Oliver, who was a highly coveted second round pick two years ago. And, and as you said, has not quite lived up to it. A big reason why the Falcons secondary, as Matt laid out with some of the struggles they had in the first half of the season, was because of a lot of blown coverages and a lot of blown assignments from Isaiah Oliver in the first half of the season. He, he sort of started to turn things around in the second half of the season, but it wasn't as if he was like a night and day improvement. Um, and a lot of, you know, some of the second half stuff was, you know, due to the introduction of, of Kendall Sheffield, their fourth round pick last year, who primarily spent time in the slot. But because of the struggles of Oliver early in the season, was you know Oliver was on the verge of getting benched by the Falcons midway through the season. But unfortunately, that's around the time when Trufant got hurt. And so he kind of was able to maintain his starting spot uh, to uh, uh, essentially, you know, fill in the shoes of uh, injured Oliver with, you know, Sheffield expected to be the other number two guy opposite Trufant. Um, so, you know, I think... Maybe, you know, Oliver's the higher profile guy, but I think the Falcons may be a little bit more relying on Sheffield to sort of fill those shoes as that number two corner that can play both inside and outside and be the guy that can match up against, you know, the Michael Thomases, the Tyler Lockett's and Devontae Adams that they're going to be facing this upcoming season, um, which is going to be a tall order. But I think Sheffield has the athleticism with his speed and, and the length to be able to at least, again, going back to what we talked about in theory, uh, be able to stick with those guys at least to a competent level this season. So, um, you know, to answer your question, Brian, like I think there's still big questions about what Oliver can do, but, you know, this is basically a make or break year for him. If he, if he doesn't figure it out this year, then the expectation is he's, he's probably never going to figure it out. 
All right, we got to talk about the offensive side of the ball, a potential juggernaut on offense in Atlanta, coming up with Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons. A familiar name to Falcons fans in the Georgia area, at running back now, coming over from the Rams, a couple of free agents added from the Rams this offseason. Uh, went on defense, we talked about Dante Fowler, and now Todd Gurley, the running back, and it looks like that is his position and his alone as, uh, as the starting and maybe three down back there in Atlanta. What are your thoughts on the addition of Todd Gurley in the backfield? Yeah, I mean, you know, Gurley's an interesting player because, you know, I don't think you're getting the, you know, my expectation is you're not getting the Gurley that was in 2017 and 2018 was arguably one of the biggest offensive weapons and arguably carried the Rams offense to a great degree under Sean McVay. Um, You know, I think you're getting probably a better player than he was last year, but probably not to the degree that he was when he was offensive player of the year uh, winner uh, in previous years. So I, I think what's going to be interesting with the Falcons this year is with getting the, you know, getting the most out of Gurley is going to be whether or not they get back to that outside zone running scheme that, Brian, I know you're familiar with with the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan. The team had a lot of success running the football with, at least when players like Devontae Freeman and Tevin Coleman were healthy in previous years, uh, that they kind of went away from last year um, for, you know, various unknown reasons you know basically this idea is like if it ain't broke don't fix it but for some reason the falcons decided to fix it um so i I think you know if they can get back to that style of play i think it will be best suited for Gurley. i think it'll be best suited for their offensive line personnel and i think they can get a lot more out of their running game than they have gotten in, in previous years and if they can do that they can be a little bit more balanced this year and that will obviously pay dividends to getting more out of their passing game because, you know, they won't be as one-dimensional as they have often been over the last couple of seasons, which has led to some offensive stagnation in recent years. I wish I was as confident, not that you were giving glowing recommendations on Gurley. Uh, I'm just in the camp that, and I think the Rams offseason moves agree with me, that the Rams running game was more about a the running back struggles than the offensive line struggles and hopefully he's healthier and fresher he just scares the heck out of me but that being said I think Matt Ryan has a legitimate chance to lead the league in passing yards and I think Calvin Ridley is this year's Chris Godwin I think that's a great point that's been a point I've been harping on on Lockdown Falcons for almost two years now where I feel like the thing that's going to really unlock the, the full potential of this Falcons offense is if they can make Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley widely considered to be the best duo of wide receivers in the league, similar to what we've seen out of Mike Evans and Chris Godwin last year and previous years with Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen. And I think if you can do that, obviously everybody knows and everybody's known for the last decade that Julio Jones is a scary dude and you have to you know, gear your game plans towards – keeping him contained as much as you possibly can, you know, can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him as they say. Um, And I think that puts other playmakers in prime position with one-on-one matchups because of all the coverages that Julio Jones draws to be able to exploit those coverages to a great degree. That was something the Falcons did to a high level in 2016 when they had playmakers like Mohamed Sanu and Taylor Gabriel. Um, You know, we saw flashes of that from Ridley early on. We saw flashes of that from Ridley in the second half of the season, unfortunately got hurt at the end of the year. And I think getting that type of performance out of Ridley um, on a week in and week out basis. And I think he's certainly capable of it, but I think it, it's, it's a lot of, you know, scheme stuff. It's a lot of play calling stuff 
to really sort of feature him in the way that I think he's capable of being featured. And if the Falcons can do that, I think you're right, Matt, really can potentially ascend to be one of the top 10, 15 wide receivers in the league and, you know, go hand in hand with Julio Jones as this one-two uh, punch and juggernaut that most defenses will be very hard-pressed to stop. And obviously that will, you know, potentially trickle down to, you know, the the rest of the players, the girlies of the world, to be able to sort of fit in wherever they need to fit in um, and provide, you know, that, you know, efficient running game whenever they need to in, in the red zone and those types of things. And all of a sudden, you know, you get the ball rolling for this Falcons offense to be, you know, one of the best in the league again this season, which they were several years ago, but quite haven't reached those heights in recent years. Looking at the NFC South, Aaron, we've talked uh, about what that offense could potentially do and improved defense would be huge for the Falcons. Is that even enough if they play at the level you think they can to knock off the New Orleans Saints and now the Tampa Brady Buccaneers? And then you look at the, the West and how good that division is and the Cowboys and the Eagles in the East and the NFC North. Green Bay Packers were in the NFC Championship game last year. Uh, it's a tough NFC gauntlet if you're trying to get into and through the playoffs. But first, you got to get through your own division, NFC South. Do the Falcons have what it takes to overtake the Saints and Buccaneers? I mean, we, we spent the last 30 minutes laying the case for how and why the Falcons could be good. But despite being aware of all those factors potentially going in their favor, it's hard for me to be overly optimistic about this team going into this season for you know some of the reasons because I was just as optimistic going into the, their season last year and you know they they sort of fell flat on their faces in that regard so you know right now I kind of have the Falcons pegged maybe as in sort of the third place but as we've discussed because of the coaching continuity they don't have to in, incorporate a new quarterback like Tom Brady um, maybe they can hit the ground running early in the season and get off to a faster start than a team like Tampa Bay. Uh, could and and should this upcoming season, which gives them a leg up. But, you know, right now I understand because of all the factors, I think, you know, the, basically the Bucks are coming off a little bit of a better season where their offense was a little bit better under Jameis Winston. They presumably made an upgrade uh, at the quarterback position. Their, their defense is coming off a, a season where they played, you know, pretty well for the entire year, not just one half of the year. So it, it's understandable in my eyes why people are giving the Bucks, including myself, a little bit more credit than maybe the Falcons heading into the season. But you're right. It's it's a tough NFC slate. The Falcons are playing AFC West. They're playing AFC North. You know, they're playing Dallas and Seattle along with those NFC South teams. And, you know, I think you, you mentioned earlier on the show that, you know, the Falcons have one of the toughest schedules in the league this year. So it's re- they have to sort of come out of the gates, hit the ground running, and play at that level that, um, you know, we've just talked about them being able what they're capable of. And if they don't, then I don't see how – you know, with given this the toughness of the schedule and some of the teams that they're facing, if they don't sort of put forth that A plus level performance on a on a relatively consistent basis this year, how they can sort of compete and, and be anything more than a five hundred team uh, going into this season. That is Aaron Freeman, host of Locked On Falcons. You can hear him daily right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Tell a friend that the Falcons and every other team in the league is covered daily on the network. You can also find Aaron on Twitter at FalcFans. Aaron, appreciate the time, man, and uh, looking forward to watching those Atlanta Falcons in 2020. Yeah, uh, yeah I look forward, you know, hopefully midseason we'll be able to hook back up and uh, see sort of what actually happened with the Falcons. So I'm <laughs> that sounds good.
Thanks again to Aaron. Thanks to everybody for listening. Be back tomorrow right here, Locked on NFL.